Well, good morning. It's a good day to be in the house. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad to see you. Um, a couple of, uh, of quick things. Um, if you are interested, and you hopefully are, uh, make a plans to come see Sonder Family Christmas. Uh, that is playing, I, I believe, next weekend. We've got some shows that you can uh, um, take part of. So uh, make plans to make that a part of your, um, your Christmas, and uh, you will not regret it. I'm sure you won't regret it. Um, <clears throat> We, uh, I'd like to bring greetings this morning from Pastor Ronnie and Pastor Margaret, and they have actually sent both of them a video update that we're going to watch right now together. So if you hit the lights, let's see what they have to say. Good morning, Springhouse. Uh, hola from Malaga, Spain, where Margaret is learning to uh, cook vegan meals, and I'm learning to order pizza in Spanish. Uh, we don't, you want to say hello? Oh, I do. <laughs> yeah. uh, we don't have a lot of news, but we did want to say thank you. Yes. And I think Margaret in particular does. So. I do. I mean, I, I just want you to know what a blessing you have been and are to me. I miss you guys like crazy. Um, I cried a lot the first week because I was so touched by the emails and messages that we got and the, the prayers that have gone up for me, and it has been such a blessing. I love you guys, and I appreciate you so much. Thank you. And we're looking forward to coming home soon. We certainly don't want to miss uh, Carol's by candlelight. So uh, we will see you guys soon. Uh, thank you. Keep praying for us. Yes. I, I said uh, we needed your prayers and your love, and we feel like we've gotten both. We do. So, uh, Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad from Malaga. Yeah. yeah. So continue to pray uh, for our pastors. And, uh, you know, my phone went off at nine, even this morning, every day. Uh, if you were here last week, you'll know that we asked everyone to set your um, alarm on your phone for 9 a.m. Uh, so that uh, we can be all in prayer together as a church body for uh, to cover our pastors. Uh, that is about the time where she gets out of her daily routine, and it's a time when she needs strengthening, and we certainly can, can pray. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, the prayers of the righteous man are powerful and effective. And so we want to continue to bathe them in prayer. And guess what? I believe we're going to be seeing both of their faces very, very soon. I do want to bring our attention to uh, some upcoming events that we need to note, note on the calendar. Can our annual Carols by Candlelight is on Wednesday the 19th, and it starts at 7 p.m. If you've never been to Carols by Candlelight and you show up at 7 p.m., you may be standing. So we want to make sure that you come early enough to get seats. Uh, uh, we have a huge gathering on that night. It is a uh, uh, an ongoing tradition here. So you want to make plans to be a part of that, but you definitely want to get here early to ensure that you you have uh, seats for that event. Following that on Christmas Day, uh, obviously on the 25th, we will have one service here. It will be from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock on the dot. I remember the year that Sherry and I and my family, we missed uh, Christmas Day service. I remember the one year we did that, we flew out to see Sherry's family in Seattle. And I remember 
feeling so empty that day of something that I really longed to, to be a part of. And it was that. It was, the, it was being together with the body and having that service. It is what the day needs. We promise we will leave right at 12. So make a point to be a part of that service as well. And then finally, we will have one family service on Sunday, December 30th at the 1045 hour, which will be this hour. So as you're making your plans on into the, to the new year, we know that we'll have families traveling. We'll have some families in with us as well. We'll only have one service on that day. So that's something to mark your calendar for. Over the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been pondering the question, do you believe? Uh, do you believe? And we're going to try to tie a bow on that uh, today uh, as, I, as I close, as I close uh, that series. Justin did a fantastic job last week and, uh, and, and uh, just continuing to, to talk about uh, do, we, do we believe in, and do we believe really? And so as we move into Advent 2 today, uh, we'll continue to ponder that question. And let's uh, go ahead and stand up and get into our scripture so we can have a foundation to work off of. <clears throat> Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach all things and will remind you of everything I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it brings life. I ask, Lord, today that my words would fall to the ground and those things that you want to speak to our hearts would remain and change us for eternity. I thank you for the hope and the peace that comes with this season. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Well, it is the most wonderful time of the year. That's at least what the song says. Uh, and I know that some of, uh, some of you may have traversed through some trying times in the past when it comes to the season. So for some of us, uh, as we walk through the season, it is sometimes a reminder of things that aren't so wonderful because maybe we stepped through some circumstances. But I'm able to stand with confidence this morning and say that it is the most wonderful time of the year, not because of our earthly circumstances or things of our past or things that we've walked through, but it's the most wonderful time of the year because it's a time when we celebrate a Savior coming into the world. And we've, as we celebrate his, his first arrival on this Advent too, we also look that he's going to come again. He's going to split the sky and he's going to come after those who have proclaimed him as Lord, who believe in him, who have asked him to come into their heart and who live their lives for him. Jesus is coming back for us, guys. And let me tell you, I want to get out of this mess and I want to go be with him. Don't you? And so there is something to celebrate. There is a hope. There is a peace. There is joy in knowing that this is not it. This is not the end. We've got somewhere that we're heading and he's coming back for us. So it is the most wonderful time of the year. Advent, the four Sundays that lead to 
uh, Christmas. We celebrate. We are in Advent 2. That means there are two more Sundays until that magical, wonderful, glorious day uh, arrives. And uh, so the first coming we celebrate, the second coming we celebrate. And we're going to talk a little about hope and peace. And we're going to talk about it in just a little uh, a little different, unique way, as it would be with me. Yes? Okay. Well, um, I, if you're anything like my family, we have decorated our house uh, for Christmas. Anybody put up your Christmas tree? That's a wonderful thing to do. Uh, sometimes, it's uh, a tragic thing to do, but it's a wonderful, uh, wonderful thing once it's done, I guess I should say. The garland is up. The wreath is up. Some of you put candles around the house. Uh, some of you flood your walls with cards from the past and bring out all of the figurines. Sometimes there's a Santa that pops up, an elf that pops up, all of those different things, all those, all those wonderful um, uh, eclectic type decorations that you do. And in our family, probably like some of you, we also have another thing that we bring out every Every year, and that is our nativity set. Does anybody do a nativity uh, in in your house? And and you know, nativities come in all types of different shapes and sizes. And uh, you know, there are tall nativities, there are short nativities, there are whimsical nativities. If you're into Disney, there is a Mickey Mouse nativity. If you're interested in that, uh, there are cartoon nativities. Uh, there are all types of nativities, all in between. And and as you put up your nativity, what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to remind you for the reason why we're decorating in the first place. It's supposed to center you on, uh, you know, this really is not about the Christmas tree or the gifts or all the other stuff, but it's really about a Savior. It's about Jesus who comes in, into the world. Now, just like the world would have it, we would so commercialize the nativity, would we not? And we would make money off of all types of different designs and all of those things. And I'm not knocking that. But, but the heart behind where we put a nativity out is really to point toward Jesus. And so all of these nativities are, are, are set here. And um, what is so interesting to me when I look at certain different types of nat nativity scenes is sometimes the inaccuracy with which they relate to Scripture. The inaccuracy, like, you know, I would look at a nativity, I'd see the Grinch. And seeing the Grinch in Scripture, Justin, you see the Grinch? He ain't in there, okay. So the Grinch, you know, the Grinch isn't in there, you know. I, I don't think Mickey Mouse is in here. I don't, you know, I, I, there's some characters that sometimes make their way into the nativity, but, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's, you know, necessarily accurate. But, but honing that in just a little bit uh, closer to, to the actual story, there are even some things within the nativity or even within the telling of the story that are a bit inaccurate. Now, this slide is going to pop up later because it's out of order on the thing. But I want you to know that information travels fast, but inaccurate information travels faster. Inaccurate information travels so much faster than the accurate information. I know that there are times when tragic circumstances will happen and somebody will get in a group of people and they'll just start disseminating information. And, and you scratch your head and say, now, how much of that is actually right? How much of, of that is actually, you've ever been around somebody like that? They're telling you a lot of things like they are the authority on that issue. Uh, yeah, I've been in circles like that. And, and how much of that is actually, actually accurate? Inaccurate information will travel a lot faster. Well, when I look at nativity scenes, you know, I wanted to address a couple of uh, some inaccuracies with the nativity and also with the telling of the Christmas story that you may or may not know. Now, it is not my intention to rob you of any holiday joy today, okay? So if I tell you something that you are just, you have been telling forever and ever and ever, and you just thought it was the way it was, I did not mean to rob that, but praise the Lord, you'll walk out here with some more accurate information, okay? So 
The first, I think, maybe is uh, hopefully a common known thing, but in some places it's not. Uh, when we look at the nativity, there, there is this question of the three wise men, the three wise men who bring gifts to Jesus. We've, sing, we've, we've sung the song, you know about the wise men who come, and that is actually a truth in Scripture. You know, the, the wise men did come to Jesus, and they did uh, come bearing gifts. But that did not happen on the night of Jesus' birth, okay? I just want to make sure that we, we understand that that actually didn't happen on that particular night. And nor do I think that Mary, you know, I think it happened about two years later uh, after the birth. And I don't think Mary said, you know what, let's recreate the scene. Let's put the toddler in the manger and get it out there so that the wise men can see exactly what it was like. I don't, I don't think that happened. That'd be like, you know, Sherry saying, hey, somebody hasn't met Nora, let's go back to Vanderbilt and, you know, we'll get back in the bed and all that. You know, no, she didn't say that, nor do I think Mary said that. But, but having the wise men a part of the nativity, though it could symbolize that's one part of the story that's actually not an accurate depiction of what that looked like uh, 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 that night. You also have the nuance of thinking about there was probably, it wasn't as clean as you guys see in the nativity scenes. It probably was not as, as, as put together and cozy as we tend to make the nativity, uh, nativity look like. Uh, so that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's an inaccuracy that, that could happen. Uh, another inaccuracy actually has to do with the story as it's told. I, when I grew, as I was growing up, I would hear the story so many times and my, my depiction or my picture of the story was that Joseph was walking this donkey and Mary is almost in transition on that donkey. Now, ladies, you know what I'm talking about when I say transition, right? Okay, so there, she's in transition right? And, and, and she, Joseph's walking the donkey, and he's like, he is like pounding on the door of the Holiday Inn, saying, let me in, let me in, let me in, let me in. And that innkeeper's like, I don't have any room. I'm not opening the door. And then he tries the Marriott, right? And he gets in there, and he's like, we don't have enough money for that. And then he goes over to the Motel 6, and they're not letting him in either. And so I had this picture of Joseph is just frantically running around Bethlehem trying to get into a hotel so that Mary could have the baby. But that's not really what the Scripture says. That's not really what, what happened, even though that's sometimes what we think the, 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 story, the story was. And so when I look at Scripture and I, and I open it and read it, it says, Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there... The time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So let's look at that story and unpackage it just, just a little bit, okay? First of all, I think because of you know, my emphasis there, while they were there, she gave, uh, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. That tells us that Mary wasn't riding on the horse and she was just in transition where you have that baby. You know, you can, you can kind of, you can kind of discern or you can look at that and say, okay, they were there. The other thing is, is that Joseph and Mary, they were going to Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is a tiny, teeny little town. Smyrna used to be small. Smyrna used to be the population of this room. Okay, Smyrna has grown. Okay, I remember when they were building the sleep in out there, uh, right on there. So I said, "Who is going to come to Smyrna and stay in the sleep in?" You know, now they got hotels just all up and down the exit over there. Okay, probably I don't know this, 
But probably in a town as small as Bethlehem, they did not have very many hotels. It also was not a place where you just said, hey, we're going we're gonna to save up, we're going to go on vacation, and we're going to summer over in Bethlehem. You know, that's not, it's like kind of you packing up your crew and saying, we're going to go over to Laverne and just kind of set camp and go over there. No, it's not really probably a place that they went to, to vacation. So it, it stands to reason that probably there wasn't a, a hotel for Joseph to, to go out. Also, another thing, Joseph was going to his hometown, which means that he most likely had relatives. And as, as it would be the Jewish custom, it would be very, very unusual for Joseph and Mary to come marry. And I do believe she was great with child by this time for her to stroll up and everybody to say, oh, no do not come into my house. No, in fact, they probably would have made some special arrangement trying to get everybody in, but everybody had to go to their hometown. So the place was packed at that time. Okay, are you with me? So probably what really happened was the time came for the baby to be born and they were in the house and there was no room in the guest room because of the people that were in the house. So Mary and Joseph made the decision to pull out of the house and go into the back to where there was a cave or where the animals so that they could have peace and they could deliver the baby. Now that does not diminish or take away anything from the story, but it brings some perspective and perhaps some accuracy to how we think about it. Are you with me? So this is the direction I want to go today. Information travels fast, but inaccurate information travels faster. Are you basing your life on inaccurate information? Because I'm going to tell you right now, Gabriel did not have blonde hair, and he was not Swedish. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is, is that people who don't have a handle on this word very likely could have walked out of here thinking that last Sunday. So what is your relationship to this word? So what I thought I would do this morning, since we're talking about nativities, is I thought I would build a nativity in front of you using what I would perceive to be what we look like in the last times. Would you raise your hand if you think that maybe, just maybe, we might just be touching the last times. We may be just like right there. Anybody think that? Anybody feel that? We might be zeroing in kind of close to those end times. Well, here's a barometer. You know, I I could say my idea is that we would be in the last times, but I want to go to the word for my information. And so this is what Paul writes in the book of Timothy about the last times, okay? There will be terrible times in the last days. Well, that's discouraging. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, disobedient to their parents, disobedient to their parents. Oh, sorry, moving on. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with these people. Man, do, do you, can, you, can you think of anyone that might fit the bill for any of Now, don't look at your neighbor right now. It's not a good time, okay? But it, 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 can, you fit, can you see anybody that fits any of those descriptions? Man, I, I think that I could sometimes be susceptible to some things on that list if I'm being real honest with you. And so I thought to myself, you know, if we were going to build a nativity, you know, today using, you know, what we would come with and what we would bring, you know, we may bring some things. We may bring some things that 
that may not look, you know, exactly what you might, how you might paint the picture of the nativity in terms of what's coming. You know, it certainly it may be disguised behind a smile. It certainly might be disguised behind church talk. You know what church talk is, right? Church talk, church talk. Those things that you say, but you don't really mean, okay? Um, but man, I, I just wonder if in the last times, if we were to put, in the last days, if we were to put together a nativity, man, might it look a little like this? Might I, might I be, you know, somewhere in, in this mix? Might you be somewhere in this, might this be what we look like? And the interesting thing about this is that the reason this babe came was because we look like this, right? It's because we look like this. Justin talked last week about the battle of our, of our mind. Those things that happened kind of in the abstract, the things that we don't touch, the things that we can't see. What, what do we do when things don't make sense? And he referenced Gabriel going to Mary and making the announcement that she was going to, to bear God's son and, and her response, well, how's that going to happen when I'm, when I'm a virgin? How's that, how's that going to be when it, when it doesn't make sense? And he, and, he, and, and he went into talking about, you know, what do we do when, when, when all we can do is stand? Then we stand, right? That's what, he, that's what Justin said. And, and we stand and it was so good and it's so wonderful as we're fighting those battles of our mind. But what happens that what happens in the next step when it when it when it's when it's in our mind and we're fighting these battles, but then it enters out of the abstract into the concrete? What, what happens whenever it crosses over and influences what we say? What happens when it crosses over and it influences what we do? What happens what what happens whenever we grab hold of something and it, and now it has become a stronghold in our life? It has buried itself in our mind and now we are reactionary to those things. How are we supposed to combat those things? How are we supposed to combat when those things take place in our mind and 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 we react to them? How do we respond? And I believe how we respond correlates directly with whether or not we believe. This is the verse that Justin was referring to last week. It says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers. It is against the authorities. It is against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. So after you've done everything, you still stand. But what happens next? What happens next? I'm standing. I've made the choice to stand. This battle is in my mind. But boy, it is tempting to make that come out in the flesh. This is what Paul continues. And he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So Paul lays out this armor for us, right? 
He lays out all this armor and this armor is supposed to help us in the day of battle. And we talked about two weeks ago that it's not if the storm comes, it's when the storm comes. The battle is going to come. And guess what? If you're sitting in the back and you're trying to take the time to think about how I'm going to make this work in my mind, how I'm going to prepare for the mind, the battle is not going to wait for you to get ready. The battle is coming in like a flood, whether you're ready or not. That, that, that hurricane is coming off of the coast, whether you put the boards up or not, it's coming. So what are you going to do? So Paul says, Here are some, here's some armor that every day we should put on to help protect us from the things that come against us. But there are times, this is a defensive posture right here. All of these things are put in place to protect us, but there comes a point when we've got to get on the offense. There comes a point when we have got to be able to address the things or the the things that we see in our lives that are affecting what we say and what we do. And the only, we've been given one, 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 one powerful offensive weapon. And that is this, it is the sword of truth. It is the word of God. That is the only offensive weapon that we've been given and entrusted with. We cannot fight our battles using the sword if we don't know how to use it in the right way. Now, I am in no way trying at all to shame our youth when I say this, but I'm bringing this because I believe the Lord is going to use it as a point. I asked a few of our youth on Thursday, I said, I want to know how many of you read your Bible on a regular basis. And the answer was zero. And so then I proceeded to ask them why. And what I love about our young people in this church is they are authentic, they are real, and they are genuine. And let me tell you something, they sniff out when you're being fake. They are looking for leaders who are authentic and genuine and real. And so they said, you know, Pastor Kevin, I'm lazy. They said, Pastor Kevin, I don't like to read. Pastor Kevin, I don't, I, I've got other things that I, that, that, that I, I, I want to do. Pastor Kevin, I'm hanging out with my friends. That's taking into my, that's my friend time. Lots of different reasons why they don't get into the word. And while we're tempted to, in our minds, condemn them for that, I believe that probably a lot of us could get in line behind some of those excuses of why we're not in the word ourselves. And so, The hard part about that is we will proclaim all day long, I believe, but we don't know how to activate what we believe because what we believe, we don't know. And so here I am, I'm dealing with fear. I'm dealing with fear and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I, I don't know, even know where to find it in this thing. If I even own a Bible, I don't know where to find it. But you know what? The pastor, I think, said something about that six months ago. And so I, you know, and I, my Bible says, my Bible says that the pastor's being paid to fight my battles for me. That's in third Corinthians chapter nine. Okay. I think my Bible says a lot of stuff that it doesn't say. Are you with me? And so I saw the path. He said something about that six months ago, and I think I'm supposed to sling that sword this way as you chop somebody's head off, as you cut an ear off, as you kill someone in the process, having no idea how to navigate and use this. And so guess what? Fear takes grip of your life because you don't know how to combat it. And then you walk around 
and self-pity. You walk around as if no, you can't be helped. Oh, but you know, it's just that devil. It's just that devil. He's just got me. You know, he's just, uh, no, it's that you don't know how to use the offensive weapon you've been given. You don't go into battle until you've practiced using your weapons. And I said, the battle's going to come after you. You got to practice. You've got to get equipped. You've got to get ready because we know that the, the, the trouble is going to come. Jesus even said that. You're going to have days of trouble. Are you ready to, are you prepared for Monday? It's tomorrow. Some of you got some trouble waiting for you. Are you ready with your sword? And I don't mean just picking up your sword because I don't need you swinging it my way if it's not supposed to be swung my way, right? And so we have to know what this word says. Paul writes a letter to Timothy and he says this, do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and correctly handles the word of truth. He's talking to Timothy there. I believe that this can apply to all of our lives. We're supposed to know what this says and how to handle it. We're supposed to know what this says and how to, how to handle it. So we asked the question, Justin last week, my, myself the week before, and even today, guys, do you believe? Do you believe? And if the answer to that question is yes, that's easy to say, but what is the reality? I believe perfect love casts out all fear until I'm afraid. I believe by his stripes I am healed until I'm sick. I believe that the words coming out of my mouth should be edifying and uplifting and encouraging until I get a hold of some juicy gossip. I believe that sex is reserved for the marriage bed until I'm sitting there laying with them. I believe that God tells me to tithe until the bills start stacking up. I believe in honoring the authority, the men and women that God have placed in my life in authority over me until they do something I don't like they did. I mean, I'm getting real, am I not? Do you believe or don't you? Because it's not whenever you just say it, it's when the rubber hits the road and you have to activate it. It's when the rubber hits the road, that's whenever we see whether or not, uh, whether or not we believe. This is what James says. It says, he says, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And in our, for our purposes today, belief and faith are synonymous. Your faith, your belief is dead if it does not have action behind it. It's so easy to stand up and say, I believe. Got me a good nativity. Got me that angel on that tree. And I'm going to be at church on Sunday. But man, what about when real life hits? Can you imagine if Jesus came down to earth and he said, I am here to die for all of your sins, and then he didn't do it? God's credibility is established in that he always does what he says he's going to do. Jesus said, God said, I'm going to come. God said, I'm going to come through a virgin. And he did it. God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live a life and I'm going to take on the sin of the world. And I'm going to be nailed to a cross and I'm going to die. And he did it. God said, 
I'm going to raise my son three days later. Jesus, I'm, going, I'm coming back to life three days later. And I'm going to have victory over death and hell. And guess what? He did it. And then he says, I'm coming back one day. You better keep watch and you better believe he will. You better believe he will. You have to know this truth in order to experience what it says. You have to know it in order to experience. experience. This was the misplaced slide. The largest issue, the largest issue here that we have when we don't know what this word says, the largest issue is that we cannot come under its authority. If we don't know what it says, we can't come under its authority. We can't really stand on it because we don't know what it says. Do you have a relationship with the word? And my Bible says that Jesus is the word and the word is Jesus. Anybody read that? Is that true? Is that true? So if I say you don't have a relationship with this, I could get away with saying you don't have a relationship with Jesus. True? I love you. I'm dealing with this as well. Okay? You can't do what it says if you don't know what it says. And there's so much life in here. There's so much for every one of us. As we say we are believers there, we are so equipped. We are so equipped here. He has given us everything we need. This, this, if you put this and you take the Holy Spirit, it's like kerosene and fire. You put those things together, explosive things will happen in your life explosive things will happen in your life. To believe is to walk in obedience. Jesus said it this way. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Do you love Jesus this morning? Well, then are you obeying his commands? You can't obey something you don't know. Many of you know that we have a daughter named Lucia and she's our wonderful troublemaker. And uh, <clears throat> no, she's great. Lucia, um, Lucia often comes downstairs at night after the kids go to bed. And I don't know if you, any parents in the room, you have learned the sound of the feet when they come, you know exactly which kid that is, you know? And so we both look at each other. That's Lucy. Lucy's coming downstairs, you know, she's not supposed to. And so she comes down, daddy, I'm thirsty. Okay, let's get a drink. Go back upstairs. Don't come back down here again. She comes back down, daddy, I'm hungry. Okay, here's a piece of bread. You come back down again. There's going to be, there's going to be a spanking spoon. There's going to be a consequence. So the other night we're in bed and I hear, we hear this rummaging. And we're like, what is that? So I go and I walk into the pantry and Lucy has climbed up two or three shelves to get the candy in the candy bowl. And she's rummaging through. This is only 1130 at night. So she's there and I'm just standing there and I'm not going to let her fall, but I just want to see how this is going to work out. I think sometimes Jesus won't let you fall, but he's going to let you see how it works out. And so she's doing it and she drops the bucket of candy. She still doesn't see me. She's saying, uh-oh. And I can see her trying to devise in her mind, how am I going to make this work? So she starts to climb down. She starts to climb down and she gets to the bottom shelf and she's scared. And so she's in the middle of her problem or trouble and she starts to yell out, daddy. And there I am. And there I was. Now, I didn't just look at her and hug her and just say, oh, baby, here's your candy. I'm so glad you came downstairs and got. <laughs> Don't you ever, ever. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. But I pulled her down. I obviously helped her. I saved her from being hurt beyond repair. 
But in the process, there was discipline because she needs to know that I love her so much that if I discipline her now, it's going to stop her from being in trouble later. And part of the consequence is she had five days without candy. So she robbed herself of blessings to come because she walked in disobedience to my will. Okay. Do you know what his will is? Do you know what is? So how is this, how is this relevant today? Worship team, you can come on back. How, how is this relevant to where we are? We're talking about Advent. And what I read about Advent, this is supposed to be an uplifting message about hope and peace and feel good and all of these things. But here's the thing. Who do we hope for? Jesus. Who is our peace in? Jesus. And I can't separate Jesus from this word right here. So I can come up here and lie to you and say, hey, here's the antidote. Here's the checklist for you to have hope and peace this season. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you want true hope and true peace, not just in these four weeks, but for your life, you need to have a relationship with this word right here. You need to have a relationship with him. And when you do, these things will start to turn away. And as you get into seasons like this, where we are celebrating Jesus, where he came as a baby, when you do that, it will start to feel a little different. It will start to feel a little bit better because you know that tragic circumstance or the fear you were dealing with or the confusion you were in or the sin you were working through, all that. That stuff isn't really in the forefront of your mind. And so whenever you come to places like this, this is what your nativity will look like even in the last days. Even in the last days. Don't you want hope and peace for real? I know I do. The way to get it is to get into this, guys. Yes, Jesus came like this. Hope, peace. We talk about his return. This is how Jesus came the first time. Cute, humble, lowly circumstances. But just like I alluded to earlier, Mary and Joseph, man, it's crowded in this room. There's no guests. There's no room in the guest room. Let's... We need to take this somewhere else. It took them physically moving to another location. Some of us need to step out of our circumstance and make a choice with the authority by the word to step in to a new season and choose to believe what this word says. And as you do, he'll give you a supernatural sense of hope and peace and he'll guide you because guys, let me tell you something. He is going to return. And next time it's going to look like this. It's none of this Gabriel showing up as a sweetest angel stuff. Jesus is showing up on a white horse with a sword. And he is going to be a victor. And you thought that you had to fight a battle. Let me tell you something. He's about to conquer this war. And we are going to live with him in his kingdom forever. He's going to establish it forever. And you haven't seen joy like you're going to see when we're living with the king. You are going to see peace like we are going to see it when we're with the king. You want to talk about backstabbing, biting, all this. Those don't exist in his kingdom. And we are going to worship him forever and ever and ever. And guess what? We're going to do it some more. And we're going to do it some more. Guys, that's what this whole life is about, is to get there. I just presided over a funeral last night of one of our people in the youth, young people, lost his dad at 52. Christian man, knows the Lord, 
Do you know how easy it is to walk up into a funeral? And I know feelings. I, it's not wrong to feel. But to walk up in a feeling and say, let me, uh, to a funeral and say, you know what? You can put your hope in Christ Jesus because your dad has crossed onto the other side and he is cheering you on as you continue to run until he splits the sky and he comes back. Are you ready? Do you really believe? Stand with me this morning. For those who are going to minister the elements, please come forward and those who are going to pray behind them.